Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. What's up, Outpouring family? It's Pastor John. So good to see you on another Sunday morning. Hey, man, to all of our first-time watchers, if you're uh, with us for the first time online, we just want to welcome you in, welcome you to our Outpouring family. If you could maybe put your name there in the comments, we'd love to say hi to you and greet you. If you're ever in the Orlando area, we'd love for you to stop on by and come worship with us one Sunday. And so uh, I just want to say to my church family, I want to call you guys to endure, to finish strong, to not be detached from God during this season, to not be detached from church in this season, but that we would... uh, continue to pursue God and be in relationship with him and be in relationship with each other. I, I want to encourage you in that. So um, before we get into it, um, I want to challenge you now. Text somebody, call somebody, share this with somebody, send a link to somebody. We want as many people as possible to hear the good news of Jesus Christ. And I think today is a message that many people need to hear. And so um, today I'm excited because I'm excited. It's bittersweet in a sense because uh, we are a church that um, really believes in walking through and teaching the Bible. If you have not noticed that yet, we walk through uh, scriptures in, in a preaching style called expository preaching. And so um, in that, it allows us the opportunity to, to learn and grow in God's words and see scripture in its totality, not just taking one bit and one bit here, but we see the whole storyline of scripture. And so we've been in a series, First Peter, um, titled Living on Mission. And I've grown so much uh, through it as, just not as a pastor, but as a believer, that, that this has been so beneficial for us. And so um, I'm glad that we are graduating today, finally graduating from First Peter. And so we'll finish the last few verses here today uh, in First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 14. So if you got a Bible, you got a device, why don't you meet me in First Peter chapter 5, verses 5 through 14. First Peter chapter 5. Verses 5 through 14. And I'll begin reading. Says this. In the same way, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Key point, because God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. Be sober-minded. Be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. The God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. Amen. Let us pray. God, thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for allowing us to journey in through this beautiful letter that we find in 1 Peter. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you, Father, that we 
have become, we've been able to grow as a family of believers that we've been able to see suffering from the right vantage point. And so, Father, today I pray that you would bring healing to our hearts, bring healing to our nation, bring healing to our communities, bring healing to our church. And so, Father, I pray today that your son would get all the glory. I pray, God, that the gospel would be the main thing today, God, that we would see ourselves in relation to you and see our need for you. And so, Father, I pray you meet us where we are. Help us to focus. Help us to study. Help us to stay engaged. Help us to grow and live out what you've called us to live out. We thank you for it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people said, amen. My sermon title is Living on Mission, the Necessity of Humility. Living on Mission, the Necessity of Humility. Well, we come today on the heels of what was spoken, what was written in the first four chapters of first four verses of chapter five that Pastor Doug Logan covered in the role of a shepherd that God gives the church shepherds. They're called elders. They are the leaders of the church. And he laid out how they were supposed to lead. And he laid out also the ways in which they were not to lead. And so he addresses the leaders at the end of the lesson, and I think that's paramount for us, because these people are suffering. They are under uh, hostility from the culture that is around them. And so they are trying to live for the Lord in a culture that is hostile to what they believe. They are suffering not for anything that they've done wrong. They're simply suffering because of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in our day and time, we may be suffering for the way that we respond to the social unrest that is going on in our country. That, that we are really finding out what it means to pray for your enemies, to bless those who curse you. We are having to live that out in real time to show the love of Jesus to those that we do not agree with, to, to show the love of Jesus to those that we do not understand. And so this is not some easy task that we've been called to walk out. This is hard to do. But the, the, the sovereign thing about God is this. In his wisdom, he gives us leaders. And so leadership in perilous times is real leadership. Anybody can lead during seasons of ease, during seasons of peace. But real leadership takes its place during perilous times, when times are difficult and people need guidance. Need guidance. And so uh, uh, leadership is a form of witness, especially for Christians in this present environment, so that, that we can lead with boldness and faithfulness and not deny Christ while we are in the present environment. Leaders face the brunt of the persecution that comes to a people. Leaders face uh, persecution first. And I want to say this, it is easy for anybody to criticize a leader. When you don't have to wear the burden of making decisions, when you don't have to wear the burden of, of leading and guiding people, knowing that no matter what decision you make, it will always drive the, uh, draw the ire and the, the uh, disappointment in others, that, that you will face persecution if you are trying to lead anybody. It is hard enough for us to lead ourselves, but can you imagine having to lead a group of people? You will never satisfy everyone, but God calls leaders to lead 
anyway. And so because they are leaders, they are oftentimes the suffering falls on the shoulders of the leaders. It gets the leaders and they get the brunt of the hostility. And part of the responsibility Peter places on leaders in the church, specifically the elders, as he did in verses one through four, is that they are an example on how to suffer well. And so I don't think that this is just a call for leaders. I think this is a call for all Christians now that we need to show the world how to suffer well, that that there is actually a way to suffer, that we can steward our suffering well because we know our our suffering has redemptive value and a redemptive purpose, that God can get the glory in how we handle our suffering. And so Jesus serves as the model of leadership for what shepherding looks like, and he also is the model for what it looks like to be a believer in the world. And so leadership is this God-giving authority as a means of serving people, not oppressing people. And so the leaders, as Pastor Doug covered before, the elders of the church, they would gather, they would pasture, and they would defend the sheep from those that would attempt to devour the sheep. And so they would demonstrate this willingness and eagerness to see leadership as a service to, be, to, to, to have people that are entrusted in their care, even if that means receiving hostility from the same people that they lead. So shepherding and leading entails enduring. And so as the leaders go, so goes the people. Leaders must know that serving, although hard, the motivation to endure is rooted in knowing that there is a reward for enduring. That that leading well during times of suffering, at the end of this, there is a crown of glory that awaits them in the life to come. And so enduring hardship now to receive reward from Christ at the end. That is the plight of all believers that we endure now waiting for the reward that we will receive for our endurance. And that's not just for leaders, but that's for all Christians that that suffering is actually the pathway to glory. So after addressing these leaders, he addresses those that are following leaders, just like there is a way to lead a lost art is that there's a way to follow. That just like leaders have a responsibility, followers also have a responsibility. And so he addresses not just the leaders, but he also addresses the rest of the church, the community, the congregation. And he says to you who are younger, now some believe that this is just young people, but I think he means the whole congregation. And maybe he's talking about younger people. Some believe that he's talking to younger people because he believes that they are more inclined to rebel against leadership. But however the case is, This is a call for them to respond to leadership by submitting to the leadership. I I didn't make that up. I put that I, I didn't put that in the Bible. It was already there. And so submission is a call in this context to follow the leaders that God has set before you. Now, that can just go outside of church. You are called to follow the boss that God assigned to you at your job, whether you agree with them or not whether they are a good boss or not. If they're not causing you to sin, then you have the responsibility as a leader to show forth submission to them. You, you may not have uh, a voted for a certain person. You may not have voted for them to be in office, but they are the appointed leader during this season and during this time. And as long as they're not calling you to sin, you show them honor and you show them respect. And even when you disagree with them, you do it in honor and you do it in respect because God's glory is on the line. And so he calls us, to this submission, to the call for the younger to follow the elders that God set before them was a call not for them to subvert or dishonor the leadership, but a call for them 
to honor them and to follow. It is a call to say that they follow with an attitude inclined to graciously and honorably follow the leaders as the leaders follow Christ. That is not to say you follow somebody into darkness or you follow somebody into sin. It is to say that you follow them as they follow Christ. You see, Jesus himself was a follower. Je- not, not, was a follower. Jesus had to obey his parents. Jesus, Jesus submitted himself to God the Father. And so Jesus models what it means to follow. And so Peter is going back to this theme of submitting to those that God has put in position of leadership. We covered that a couple of weeks ago, that whether that be governmental, societal or it be marital, we are called in some form or fashion to submit to those that God has put over us. Because of this context, though, submission to leadership could be hard. Why? Because suffering can oftentimes put a strain on relationships. When times are difficult, relationships tend to suffer. Think about it. All the married folks out there, all the married people that have had to now be at home every day with your spouse, you see them every day, and you get to see them in all of their sinful glory every day. All the little idiosyncrasies that you could put up with before because you guys were not together all all the time. They went to work, you went to work, one of you were home, one of you went to work, and so you weren't together all the time. And and now because of the suffering that is going on in the world, y'all about to drive each other absolutely crazy. And so suffering tends to put strains on relationships. When couples or, or, or people go through financial situations, it puts a strain on relationships. When, when we think about marriage, we think about finances, sometimes or it's often been said that finances is a main cause of Divorce. And so suffering can oftentimes put a strain on relationships. In times of persecution and suffering, it also tends to bring out the worst in people. All we need to do is turn on the news to see that suffering brings out the worst in people. So oftentimes in those cases, people who have, a po- who have power, they abuse it. And those that are under their authority, they rebel against the authority. So it is hard to do and it gets lost on us that leading and submitting are good and that there is goodness in it. But I think today we find that the reason why we struggle with it and we tend to demand things that go go our own way is because we lack and devalue this one major virtue, which is our topic of discussion today. We lack this one major Christian virtue and it's called humility. We lack humility. And the call today is for us to be humble. So humility is the oil that allows relationships to run smoothly. Humility is the oil that allows relationships to run smoothly, especially relationships in the church and relationships in the home. And so if I had to put a definition on humility, it would go like this. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. Let me say that again. Humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness 
and our sinfulness. Our humility says that I am completely dependent upon God. Humility says that I know that I am saved by his grace, that I am chosen and loved by God, not because of anything that I've done right, but because God loved me. I know that I'm saved not by my own works, but I'm saved because of God's grace. When I look at God and his holiness and I look at my own life and my own sinfulness, it pales in comparison to the holiness of God and it lets me know that I still need God. And when I realize that I am sinful and God is holy, it should create in me a humility. And so humility says that because God served me, By saving me, I can now put others' interests in front of my own and serve other people. That I can oftentimes put myself at a disadvantage so that someone else can have the advantage. That's what humility does. And so when we gather as a church, you know what church is? Church is just a gathering of the humble, or or so it should be. So he addresses both the leaders and the congregation alike. And here's what he says. Notice this. He says, all of you. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Let's look at that again. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And no greater example do we have of humility than in Jesus. Philippians chapter 2 shows us gospel-centered humility. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9 says this, Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. He emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity, and when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. For this reason, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. And my question today is, if Jesus could humble himself, why can't we? And so here's what the gospel does. The gospel brings us low, but it also lifts us up. It brings us low because we are sinners in need of the mercy of God and we are incapable of saving ourselves but it brings us up. It exalts us because it demonstrates that the Lord sets great value on us and he loves us. So the gospel brings us low but it also lifts us up. So what does Peter say to do? He says clothe yourselves with humility. Clothe yourself with humility. He didn't say go out and Take some humility. He says, clothe yourself with it. He speaks of humility as if it is something that you put on. It's like tying an apron around you to protect your clothing so that we would grab the apron of humility and put it over our heads and put it on us and walk around with it on us. That that we are clothed in humility. We dress ourselves in humility. We wear humility. And we need this type of wardrobe because the antithesis to humility is what? Pride. Our fallen nature as human beings is prone to pride. It is prone, we are prone, to make ourselves the center of attention at all times. Pride always says that my needs are more important than the other people's needs. My my, my pride says that why don't people see me? And so Christ gives us the grace to overcome that pride. 
Because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. As C.J. Mahaney stated in the book, Humility, True Greatness, he says this, Humility draws upon the gaze of our sovereign God. God pours out his grace on the humble. If you want to have God's favor in your life, the way to have God's favor is by dressing yourself in humility, by serving other people, by considering others more important than yourself, to realize that in light of your own righteousness, it is nothing. It is filthy in comparison to the holiness of God. So when I look at God and all his beauty, his splendor, his majesty, and I see my sinful self, it drives me to humility and it drives me to put my hope in him so that he can exalt me. So verse six to seven says this. It's interesting. He says, humble yourselves. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may exalt you at the proper time, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. And so he tells them, instead of God humbling you, humble yourself. Humble yourself by acknowledging that God is in control. This, this is for us to finally stop being control freaks with our own lives and humbling ourselves and trusting in God no matter what predicament we find ourselves in. And so he calls us to not just be humble, but he also calls us to trust God. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. And so I want to teach you something today. As Christians, we undermine a major part of the Christian faith, and that is the sovereignty of God. We often forget or we don't understand that God ain't never not in control. Let, let me say that again for all the people that's not from the South. Let me say it again to clarify it for you. God ain't never not in control. God is always in control. There's not a single second of the day, of the minute, of the, of the year, of the hour, of the week, of the month that God ain't in control. God is always in control. Nothing is out of the reach of God. Even when we think he is not there, even when we think he is not listening, God is always in control. Our view of God as Christians has to be much bigger. We got to stop just believing God for a car and for a house and for a man or for a woman or for, for a pay raise. We got to believe that God is in control of all things, that God is sovereign, that God is a good God, that God is actively engaged in what is going on in history and in humanity. Our theology must include a God that is not out of touch and a God that is not out of reach. Your impatience does not mean God is inactive. Let me say this again. Your impatience does not mean God is inactive. God is still working. If God was sovereign over Israel's captivity and Egyptian bondage and sovereign over their deliverance, if God was sovereign over Israel crossing the Red Sea, if God was sovereign over Jesus on the cross, God is sovereign over your marriage. God is sovereign over the life of your children. God is sovereign over your finances. God is sovereign over your career. God is sovereign over your church. God is sovereign over Corona. God is sovereign over social unrest and injustice in this country. God is sovereign over over everything, and most importantly, God is sovereign over your salvation. God is sovereign. So he says, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. He's saying, trust in the power of God. And part of this is for us to accept that God's will in our lives also involves suffering. That just because you're going through something doesn't mean God's hand ain't in it. 
Matter of fact, if you're going through something, that is evidence that God's hand is in it. That is saying that God is actively engaged in your life and that suffering well means that our response to suffering remains in the parameters of God getting the glory out of our lives. This is why it's so important to have a wide biblical theology of suffering. That, that knowing that God is not detached from what we go through, that God is not some God that's just looking in the sky and just shaking his head at us and not actively engaged. God is engaged in every part of our being. So God can get the glory for me standing up for the right thing. But then I will bring reproach on his name when I engage in the hatred and the vitriol that I see in our society. I trust God to vindicate all things in due time. There are times when God will vindicate his people in this life, but ultimately God will set everything straight in the life to come. When Jesus comes back, there will be no more injustice. Everything will be made right. You have to trust that and endure to the end. It will all be worth it. There may be some humiliation in this life. Even the apostle Peter himself, he's apostle. He didn't live his best life. You know what happened to the apostle Peter and the rest of the disciples? They all died for what they believed. Apostle Peter, according to tradition, as he was about to die, he even requested that he not die like his Savior. They were going to crucify him. He said, you know what? Don't crucify me like the Savior. Crucify me upside down because I don't deserve to die like Jesus died. So he was willing to die a humiliating death because he knew that God would exalt him at the right time. And so there may be a loss of status, a loss of friends, a loss of job, a loss of life. These are real possibilities when you live in a fallen world. But God will vindicate the righteousness. The world will see the foolishness of rejecting the gospel. No matter what it looks like, if you bear the name of Christ, you are on the right side of victory. God is wielding his mighty hand on behalf of his people. God does not leave us unattended and God does not leave us unsupported. God is with us during difficult times. It is normal for us to be worrisome and anxious, but God is in control. So it is to say this. It is to say that we need to stop incessant worrying. It's okay to worry. It's okay to be controlled. But there's a time when worrying crosses over into sin because it becomes a form of pride. And we convince ourselves that we must solve every problem and we must solve it in our own strength. But worry denies the sovereignty of God. One theologian said this, affliction either drives one into the arms of God or severs one from God. Oh, I love that quote. He said, affliction either drives one into the arms of God or it severs one from God. So the antidote to worrying is believing and trusting and resting in God's care for all of his people. Another way we humble ourselves by is by casting our cares on God. Verse seven says this, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. God is not indifferent. God is not careless. He has compassion for his children. Uh, the psalmist said in Psalm 55, 22, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. And so we think about casting our cares on God. It is like a person who goes to the gym often, not like me, but to somebody out there that goes to the gym on a reg regular basis, whoever is weird enough to do that, who goes to the gym on a regular basis, you, you take your bag in there, and you take your workout clothes and you have your change of clothes with you and you work out, you get it all sweaty 
and stinky and nasty. But you know what you do? When you finish working out, you take those clothes off and you stuff them in that gym bag. And then you toss that gym bag in your car. And God is saying, toss all of your cares in the gym bag of my hand and give them to me and let me carry the burdens for you. God says he can care for you and he can carry stuff that you can't carry. So there's another command. Not only do we need to be humble, not only do we need to trust God, but we need to be alert. The third thing is we need to be alert. Look at verse eight, verses eight and nine. He says, be sober minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. He's saying, be clear minded in your suffering. Here, here's what it means to be sober minded, to be free from confusion. I have never seen this much of confusion in the world as I see now. Everybody's confused. Nobody has the answers. Nobody knows where to turn. Nobody knows where to look. This pandemic and police brutality and the response of the people has gotten even the wisest people confused. Even the wisest people, all of the pundits, all the people that we look for for advice, they ain't got no answers. They don't know the answers and rightfully so. However, to you, Christian, you do have the answer. You do know where the answer is. This is time for us to stand up and be salt and light and point people to the real answer. No, I ain't talking about Alan Iverson. I'm talking about Jesus. So Peter gives us a reason why we can be clear-minded and vigilant. This is so important because it lets us know that this battle we're facing, this is a blood and flesh matter. We keep trying to reduce this down to some sort of physical realm. We, we trying to keep trying to make this a human issue, and partly it is. But if you think for one second that a pandemic and out of control police brutality ain't a spiritual issue, you are sadly mistaken. This is spiritual warfare. That there is a real enemy that seeks after our lives by seeking to destroy our faith. And if he can get you to be hopeless, if he can get you to feel that God ain't with you no more, then he has won. You gotta remember, Peter was, was the one that got caught slipping. I hate to keep picking on Peter because this is old Peter that is writing to us. But young Peter was asked to pray. And on the night that Jesus was betrayed and arrested, Peter was in the garden with Jesus, supposed to be praying. But what is Peter doing? Homeboy sleeping, sleeping when he was supposed to be praying, sleeping when he was supposed to be watching. He was supposed to be watching and supposed to be vigilant. So when the time came, he could be prepared. Well, you know what happened when the time came. Peter was ill-equipped to handle the temptation that came his way. And now Peter is speaking as a fellow elder and is telling the church, be better prepared than I was. Be aware that there's a real live enemy that is on the prowl. And one of the things that he does is he tries to inflict suffering onto believers so that they would deny Christ and lose out on God. One of the things that is interesting in this passage is that Peter is really saying that Satan is at work in the socio-political system of their day. And so he says he roars like a lion, like causing fear in people. And at close range, it has been said that the roar of a lion can sound like a jet flying overhead. And do you know that a roaring lion would scatter 
a flock of sheep. And so persecution is his roar that tries to intimidate believers in the hopes that they will capitulate at the prospect of suffering. Satan's primary goal is to get you to abandon your faith. And in this time, in this season, people are asking, where is God? I've seen Christians posting, it's time to stop praying. Where they do that at? When has it ever been a time to stop praying? We must pray because we need God. We must pray because we need the Holy Spirit. This spiritual battle that is going on in our country, we can't do it in our own flesh and blood power. We can't do that on our own. We need God to do it. And he has equipped us to do it. So we must pray and then act. And so Satan wants to get us off our game so that we would abandon our faith. But do you notice the contrast between Satan and God? God says he cares for you, but Satan seeks to destroy you. God cares. Satan seeks to destroy. But I want to tell you something. He is a defeated enemy. And God is sovereign. I'm going to blow your mind. God is sovereign even over Satan attacking you. Wait a minute. You've gone too far, preacher. You've gone too far. You mean to tell me if Satan attacks me, if he attacks my body, or if he attacks my family, you mean to tell me God is still sovereign and God is in control of that situation? Have you considered my servant Job? (laughs) Let's not forget about Job. God offered Satan up to Job. Satan didn't have Job on his mind. God did. And God put Job to the test. And you know what? Job didn't know what happened probably until Job got to heaven. But Job's life was a test that God was using to, number one, humiliate Satan, but to let people know that Job belongs to me. Job did not abandon God. And brothers and sisters, In the age of Corona, in the age of social unrest, don't abandon God. God is sovereign in our suffering. He tells us to resist him firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your fellow believers throughout the world. We are not the only people that are going through something. And so we must resist him and stand firm in our faith. Hold on to what we believe. Hold on to what we believe. Even through persecution, hold on to your faith. Even through job loss, Hold on to your faith, even through financial setback. Hold on to your faith, even though there's drama in your life. Hold on to your faith. You may be sick. Hold on to your faith. There will be a reward for you at the end. God will respond and God is responding. And here's what he says in the last two verses, verses 10 through 11. Would you read that with me? It says the God of all grace who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you. I love that promise. I love that fourfold promise that essentially means the same thing. It says that God will, God himself will restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. To him be dominion forever. And so God has called us into his grace through a relationship with his son, Jesus, who suffered on the cross and was exalted to glory. And so he gives us four verbs to describe his promise, saying this is what God will do, that he'll restore us, which means he'll put things right. He will mend us. He will make us whole. He will establish us. He will make us firm. We'll stand up on our feet. He'll strengthen us, which means he will vindicate us and he will support us, meaning that God will put us 
on a firm foundation. And what Peter is saying, and I'm done, he's communicating to us that God will give us everything that we need to endure in this life, no matter how hard it may be. He's called us to be salt and light in the world. And this is an encouragement to hold fast to your faith. Don't be surprised by suffering. Anticipate it. Know that God can use what we go through. Stand firm in God's grace. Stand firm in the suffering, the death, the burial, the resurrection and the ascension of Jesus. Stand firm in the living hope, which is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Through his death, he conquered all evil powers, all sickness, all sin, all social uh, injustice, all diseases. He conquered it all on the cross. And so now we must follow this path to glory, which means we must go through suffering. We suffer, but God has given us his grace. He secures us. And he enables us to resist the urge to turn away from him. This grace empowers us to stand strong. It empowers us to endure. And so I want to say this today. The sufferings of this life might seem like it is lasting forever. Like it seems that there will be no end. It seems like that, that, that it is taking a long time. And so the suffering that we feel now is but a light momentary affliction. And it is nothing. It pales in comparison to the eternal way to glory that will come. And the joy that we see today is but an appetizer until the main course comes when God lays out the feast, the banquet of heaven, and we get to sup with him in the glory, the joy that we will have with him will make it all worth it. Our suffering is great, but God's grace is greater. So, I pray that this sermon series through 1 Peter has been a blessing to you. That when the worst happens in your life, you can respond with hope. You can reflect and know that God is using our suffering. But we need humility to know that we cannot live this life on our own. We need God to do it. And the good news is that God came. He experienced what we experienced. Yet he did not sin, but he died for us on the cross and was raised to life so that you and I could have eternal life. If you're watching us for the first time, if you've been watching us for a while, you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I want to invite you today to come into a covenant relationship with the Lord of hosts, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, which is Christ Jesus. He is waiting for you. In this day and time, I say this with all grace and peace towards you. But it is foolish. It is foolish to live without God. It is foolish to reject the way that he has made for us.
in his son Jesus. So if that is you today, there's a, a button right there on your screen. And you can surrender to Jesus right where you are. And if you want to send us a private prayer, prayer request, you can do that right there. If you're tired, you're weary, you're worn out, you need, you need prayer, you need hope, our leaders are waiting for you to serve you right there. And so I pray that God would bless you, would keep you, and that you would endure, and that you would remain and stand firm in the faith. Be blessed. We hope you were blessed by the message today and would love to hear about how God is using this ministry in your life. You can connect with us online at outpouringorlando.com to share your story, request prayer, give financial support, or learn more about our ministry. We'd love to see you at one of our Sunday services if you're ever in the Orlando area. Thanks again for joining us today. Have a wonderful week.